I think I enjoy working for the underdog. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, that happens to be women yeah, almost sure. anywhere in the world. Okay. So it's fallen that way. Why are men great so they gotta be great? Woo! I just took a DNA test, turns out I'm a hundred percent that bitch. Even when I'm crying crazy, yeah, I got boy problems, that's a human in me. Bling, bling, then I saw them, that's the goddess in you me. You could've had a Isn't the Sitting Under a Tree podcast with Aiden Jones for Tuesday, the 12th of November, 2019, Year of Our Lord, Aino Dominus. What does Aino Dominus mean? The first year, isn't it? Yep. Great. Moving on. <coughs> uh, I've got Lucy Bloom on the podcast this week. Fuck, I'm excited for this interview. Um, I did this interview a few weeks ago in... Uh, in the belly of the beast, a co-working space in St Kilda, we <laughs> recorded it from the Elon Musk room, the aptly named Elon Musk room in this co-working space. We got a lovely picture uh, outside with some like odd photo of it. Was it a photo or a painting? I can't even fucking remember. It's going to be the, the, the main photo of the pod. There's a picture of Elon Musk outside the room. Um... It just was. Isn't it odd to be in a place that's named after someone who's still alive? You know, like how? Uh, oh, what, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I can't. I think it might have been Bill Burr's, and he was talking about he did a bit, and uh, some like a bit about someone, and then a lady after the show was upset, but not because the bit offended her or anything, but because the person who he did the bit about. Uh, had a hospital wing named after them and that hospital wing used to be named after this lady's dad and so she was all upset because she just was sick and tired of, of being reminded of it and I'm like how what do you have to do like <clears throat> there were some fairly obscure people that have things named after them and Elon Musk is like the most famous cunt ever and he just has some random <laughs> conference room named after him like, is that a realistic goal to have something named after you in the world? You know, like, I, I mean, I reckon there's a room in my friend's house in Walthamstow in North London named after me, because when they when they moved into their house, uh, one of my friends, it's a couple, and one of them messaged me and was like, "Hey, we've got a, a tiny room in our place," and we both saw it and went, "That's a taco room." <laughs> if I got a plaque made. <laughs> to put it like above the door in that room is that room now named after me it is surely and you can't take the plaque down i mean and then if they move out like because they're renting i mean no one's going to take that plaque away the next people who move in they're just going to think that the plaque that it's like a part of the they're probably going to think taco is like some 18th century viscount or something for a house that was built in 1993 in, in Walthamstow, there's not, I really, uh, I would love to start getting a few plaques made and just integrating them into my life, you know, buy a kitchen table, put some fucking plaques on there. That's a real, <laughs> and put them in each spot. So you like name the places of your kit. I have, uh, yeah, mate, you can just take the Elon Musk position at the kitchen table there. You will see it. Uh, demarcated by the plaque. There it is. 
Um, you have the Elon, the Elon Musk, the Karl Marx, the Bill Gates, and uh, and the Gary Ablett. <laughs> oh, no, I'm a little bit sick, I think. I'm getting sick. Man, I was in the kitchen before sneezing, and uh, I just, you know, when you feel a sneeze coming and you get your face ready, you're like, uh, 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 you like pull the, you know, all your shit. All your face goes like up and it kind of braces for the impact. I was standing like that for about 10 seconds, just going, uh, uh, and if the wind had bloody changed, I would have been stuck like that forever. I don't know if everyone's mum used to say that, but my mum used to say, don't make a weird face or the wind will change and you'll be stuck like that forever. And, And that was scary enough for me. That's how much of a fucking idiot you are as a kid. You're like, I believe you. And then, you know, you just you just have a normal face. What if the wind changes and your face is just in a neutral position? You're stuck like that forever. Never smile. Maybe that's what the problem with people who are depressed, spent too much time as a child in gusts. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Lucy Bloom, so great. Man, she, uh, this is a, a lady who I met in uh, Adelaide at the Fringe earlier this year and, um, she had a show, she, uh, we became friends and then she left, uh, before, like, she got nominated for a weekly award, that's right, and then left, went back to Sydney and, um, messaged me and said, hey, if I get the award, can you go up and get the prize for me at the award ceremony, because she didn't know anyone else in the city that she could, like, get to go and collect it, and we just met the night before, and I was like, yeah, sure, and, uh, so I'm there waiting. She wins the award and the prize is a bottle of champagne and I couldn't do it, man. I like it just, I felt like it wasn't, I felt like everyone would be, who's this usurper, you know? I just didn't feel like I knew her well enough or whatever to go and get it. And uh, But we stayed in touch. I've, start, I've been writing for her uh, here and there. She's a corporate speaker. She speaks at corporate events on on themes surrounding corporate life but she tells stories from her life so I've gone over a lot of stories from her life and and written jokes for her about how she uh she was the CEO of a charity that ran hospitals in Ethiopia for years um she's uh done a lot of photography she's traveled around a bunch she just lives a fucking cool life man has three kids, and so I sat down with her to have a chat about that, and to just so she's released a book called "Get the Girls Out," uh, which I've not read yet, but she's given me a signed copy. I was fucking angling for it, man. I was like, oh yeah, when we got in the cab afterwards, she was like going to a gig, and and she was like, oh, I'll drop you wherever. So we get in the cab, and I was like, yeah, man, I'll definitely, I'm definitely gonna buy a copy of your book, dude. I can't wait to read it. And she was like. Oh, you, I always carry one around with me. You can just have a free one here. I'll sign it. And I was like, not going to lie, exactly what I was angling for. <laughs> I, like, I will buy a copy of your book, but fuck, I'd prefer a free one. Come on, man. <laughs> Especially after what she says in this, which is that every event that she speaks at, she fucking gets the 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 people who put the event on to just buy a copy of her book for everyone in the conference. My God. What a, a genius way to market yourself. But, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we just started talking about that and about her life. And then about halfway through, I, what I didn't realize is that um, she testified in the Royal Commission um, 
in the trial about the cover-up of sexual abuse at Knox Grammar School in Sydney years ago, and she tells the story, and I won't tell it because I don't know how much legally she's allowed to talk about, but incredible. Um, and we just talked about uh, what I've noticed in writing for Lucy is that, I mean, she saw me do comedy, and uh, and I guess just, I, I don't even know why she decided that she wanted me to write for her. It's real... It's a real. It's been a real cool experience to write for it because it's like, it's teaching me about collaborating with people rather than just writing for myself. Because the way I do stand up, I mean, it's very like, I want to say selfish or self-involved or whatever. It's just it's a thing that I do by myself, and I don't need to ask anyone or go to anyone <coughs> to um, to you know to do it. I can just do it in, in a completely by myself and. Um, to write jokes with someone else and, and have to have those jokes fit their specifications and what they need has really been uh, a great experience for me. But it's also teaching me about, like, corporate speaking, as much as it's you're kind of shackled by what you, like, the people booking you and the corporate world and the the ways that you need to, like, you can't swear that much or be too offensive or all this kind of stuff, um... And some of the jokes and ideas that I pitched, like sex is pretty off topic. Off topic? Off, off, no, 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 no. You can't talk about sex. You can't make jokes about sex, really. And any kind of religion, politics, or whatever. Nothing contentious. So it's got to be pretty, in a way, it feels like it's kind of toothless stuff, you know? Um, Because you can't even have, like, a contentious point of view. But... After talking to Lucy and after writing for her as well, like, it's not that different to stand-up. As much as you're not as free to say exactly whatever you want, you can still, you still kind of can. And you can um, be honest and it's almost just like harder to get that honesty across. But she's afforded the same kinds of freedoms that any comedian is. And, and like the comedic tradition of like the comedian is the one who has no power and therefore is the one to say whatever they want. The only one who's allowed to say that the emperor's got no clothes on. That's kind of what she's doing in the corporate world. It's really cool. I really enjoyed talking to her. I knew she was an interesting person. I still underestimated exactly how interesting she was and how much of a fucking badass she is. So I really hope you guys enjoy uh, this conversation that me and Lucy had. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. Um, As soon as I finish reading the book that I'm reading currently, I'm going to read her book. But uh, if you haven't heard of Mal, I mean, go follow her on Instagram. Uh, Let me find out what it is. Go check her book out. Her book's called Get the Girls Out, which I didn't realize for so long is a reference to like, get your tits out. I just thought it meant like, (laughs) I didn't know what I thought it meant. I thought it was like, get the girls like into positions of power or something. I don't fucking know what I thought it meant. Uh, Lucy Flamingo Bloom. Oh my God. I wasn't following her. What? No. Lucy Bloom is her professional profile. The Lucy Bloom on Instagram. Um, go follow her. If you're in the corporate world, book her for a fucking corporate speaking event because then she gets paid and then I get paid. And um, enjoy this enjoy this interview, man. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.
scary. Yeah. I've never had that before. But thinking about the corporate speaking, man, I mean, it was in the notes that I did for you, but it's not so dissimilar to comedy. After hearing one of your, like, things, like, it's just kind of comedy, but without swearing and instead of going, like, here's how this affects me or what, like, you can't... Art can be about you, but it's not supposed to be about you. It's just supposed to be about corporate life. It's yeah. how you're kind of tying it in. But that aside, it's basically comedy. I guess so, because I'm a funny speaker. But other speakers on the corporate circuit uh, are not necessarily funny and speakers. And I would say that's just because they're cowards, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> because why not be funny? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Like I agree. Like being a funny speaker is just you are a speaker with another element. Like they're just one level below what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? It's not like a different style, I don't know. Because then why are people listening to them? Yeah. What are they... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, how... how uh, what's the word? It's not narcissistic. It's just like, who the fuck are you that you're going to get up and talk to a bunch of people? Because they're an expert. You better be a fucking expert. Like, <laughs> they're an expert in their area. They, yeah. They're just not necessarily a funny expert in their area. Yeah, I mean, that's a yeah. That's the only other currency that you can possibly have, right, is knowledge. Yeah, knowledge will get you far. Yeah. <laughs> it will but, get you but far. But I mean... So that expert... So I have a friend who is an expert in artificial intelligence. Yeah. And she gives three speeches a week. Yeah, that's sick. I mean, that is yeah. sick, actually. So because it's an area that everyone's like, yeah, how can yeah. I apply this to my business? She's got great okay. currency at the moment. Yeah, maybe that um, reflects on me that, like... <laughs> I'm so defensive that I need someone to make me laugh before I'll listen to the things that they say. <laughs> Even if they know so much stuff, I'm just like, yeah, but you're not funny, so fuck you. Like, I think who that, are you? Can't... That just says you're a comedian. Yeah, that's, maybe. That's your area. That's, that's your knowledge. Yeah, that's your um, area of expertise. And I'm an expert. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your book because I haven't read it and I haven't seen it, but I want to Have you even got a copy? No, I don't have a copy. Well, I haven't bought a copy yet. I was going to buy a copy, but I've been travelling. <laughs> I'm well, sorry. Okay, well, let me fill you in. I mean, I only just understood the title, didn't I? Like, a fucking a week ago. <laughs> really? I thought, yeah, I told you, get the girls out. It I thought it was. Meaning. I was like, uh, yeah, but I didn't understand that it was like, show us your tits. Yeah. I thought it was just like, get women into the workforce. I was like, that's <laughs> an obscure way it of putting that. It has a few that. meanings, and that's one of them, is, yeah. 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 Flash us your tits. Uh, but it also is a bit about women supporting each other, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if I explore that theme that much. Okay. It's a memoir, so it's about it's my about crazy life. life. Yeah, sure. Tell me about that. Well. <laughs> I mean, because I've heard the things in your, in your speech, but, like, there's more. You were there's a CEO for 10 more. years. I don't know even what that means. Like, you worked for an, <laughs> an, an uh, not an ambulance, uh, yeah. <laughs> An ambulance, <laughs> but one that they build in the ground. I think they call that a hospital. <laughs> yeah. I ran an advertising agency for 20 years. Fuck. I know. I don't look old enough. No. And then I stepped into the not-for-profit sector, and I was the CEO, which stands for Chief Executive Officer, <laughs> which means head honcho that reports to the board, which sure. means chief punching bag. Yeah. Uh, and that was a charity funding a network of hospitals and a midwifery school in Ethiopia. Wild. Which was really cool. And how did... Wait, 
So you did that for 10 years? Uh, I volunteered for eight years before I was appointed as CEO, and then I did that for nearly three years. Oh, okay. Oh, so you worked with them for 10 years. Yeah. And, and I just volunteered. So, so I you... go to the hospital because I ran this agency. Yeah. I volunteered my creative expertise. Okay. Oh, so you've not been working for 30 years. No. There's overlap on some like of these 12. things. <laughs> Yeah, when my child labour. When did you start working in the head of the marketing agency? Um, I created that agency when I was 19. Fuck. 18, 19, what? yeah. Yeah. How's that? How did that work? I uh, was... I'm trying to get to the start of the story and then, and then move forward to what I'm trying to do. <laughs> well, the start of the story is I was born in Africa. Really? Yeah. Yeah, where? I was born in Johannesburg. Sick. And we lived there until I was five, and then okay. we moved to the UK because my brothers were going to have to do compulsory army service. Oh. At the time, they were sending like young boys to Angola to kill really? people. Really? Expansionist and shit? I think more border defence. Is that uh, South Africa during apartheid? Uh, yes. Apartheid wow. was dismantled in 1990, 1990 yeah, or so thereabouts. Like, and uh, apartheid came in 70, in 1948. I was born in 73. Yeah. We left 78. Wow. You lived under apartheid. Do you remember anything? I remember that we had black staff uh-huh. and we had two house girls and two house boys and there were a bunch of kids and I played with the kids until a certain age yeah. and then I wasn't allowed to. Really? And I remember just going, what the? Yeah. And our staff lived on our farm, which was really unusual. Yeah. And they had to get per- we had to get permits and all this stuff. To have the black people living on your farm. Yeah. They should have li- lived in the townships. But those some of those townships were four hours bus drive away. Whoa. And so the That's uh, is that Joburg, is that Soweto? Is that, that one? That's a big township. But in that's Joburg. near Joburg, yeah? yeah. Yes. Fucking. So then people were basically sleeping on the bus yeah, home. Wow. Turn around, come back, oh. sleep. And then work all day. Like it's so just, it's just like, what's the point? It's so cruel. Yeah. So we had these two families who lived on our property. And I just remember getting to a point where I wasn't allowed to play with my friend. Her name was Ziggy. And I wasn't allowed to yeah. play anymore. And I didn't understand. Okay. Then we went to the UK and things did you, were just Did you keep so any different. ties with those people from South Africa after you left? I asked my mum about this recently. And no, we didn't because they were not literate. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we lost track of them. Wow. Entirely. You know where they were at or... No How idea. were your parents towards these, like, what were your parents like living in this apartheid? Well, my parents were a product of apartheid. So my parents were both eight years old when it was institutionalised, mm-hmm. but it was very much a part of life. Yeah. They're, from the day they were born. Were they, did they, like, are they racist? Um, like I said, they grew up with it as part of their yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that has been dismantled since coming here. So I did the sums. My mum was 40. So mum was five years younger than I am now yeah. when we arrived in Australia. Wow. And she's now nearly 80. Yeah. And so she has gradually undone that conditioning. So okay. I would say my mum is not racist. Wow. But it has taken 40 years to undo that wow. us and them idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it took a You're solid... You're undone. Yeah, I think so. That's why. Certainly my mum. I actually don't know my dad well enough to tell you the answer. Yeah, right. At this stage in my life. But it took a solid decade of being in Australia. We went to the UK first. It was too cold. We came here. Uh-huh. And That's uh, it, <laughs> it took the first decade living in Australia for my parents just to chill out uh-huh. on the personal security level. Yeah. So we wouldn't go to any public events. 
we wouldn't go to jazz in the domain huh. or fireworks at in the harbour or what? anything like what that. Would they say? Because because our experience of public events would there'd be beheadings and there'd be someone pissing on your shoe and huh. it was totally unsafe. Beheadings in South Africa. Totally unsafe. Really? Massive car like it's a carjacking city, Jack. Yeah, I've heard of that. Where no one will stop at a red light. Because yeah, that's where because you get carjacked. So we came here and people like people don't have barbed wire yeah. on their fences here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took us a while to get used to that. You're, like, took my where, you're like, all right, we just got to Australia. Where do I get my barbed wire? Yeah. Is it like your first protocol? You know, broken glass concreted into the top of the wall. <laughs> that's that's yeah, what Africa's yeah, of course. Like. Oh, my God. So um, it took my parents a long while. I was a kid, so I was. I just thought we'd moved to paradise. Yeah. And I didn't see a difference in my personal safety or anything like that. But it was a battle as a teenager. <laughs> uh-huh. How long how, how long were you in the UK? Only three years. Okay, so you moved here when you were nine because you have a full Australian Thereabout. accent. Yeah. I just assumed you grew up in Australia forever, yeah. lived in Australia. No, I'm a bit of a chameleon. So we went to the UK and I just picked up this English accent really yeah. fast because I wanted to fit in. And then we came here and I was like, what? Accents changed again, and I dropped mm-hmm. it really, really fast, and just picked up an Aussie accent. Do you, do you feel Australian? You're like, yeah, yeah Australian. I do. I do, but I feel, a, and all Africans get this. I feel an Aussie, uh-huh. totally Aussie. Uh-huh. I understand Aussie culture. This is home, but I feel this weird kind of vibration, kind of pull to Africa. Mm-hmm. So any opportunity I get, not to go to South Africa because it's just dangerous and. You can go to other countries and see the same amazing sort of African wildlife and that sort of stuff yeah. without being murdered on the way back to your hotel. Um, so that I do any opportunity I can to work in Africa or travel to Africa, I do. So I've been to some sure. pretty cool places. Are you um, familiar with uh, the term third culture kid? No, tell me about that. So this is people, and I think it's quite a new thing, but uh, this is a term given to people who grew up without any kind of fixed place of like being home. So like, I have a friend uh, who is Kenyan, but she grew up between like India, went to school in India, Singapore, uh, was born in London actually, and then just finished university in Edinburgh, lived in Paris for a year, this whole thing. And like, she speaks like French, English, a couple African languages, I can't remember the names of them. Um, and like, but no fixed address. No, really. As far yeah, as co- as yeah. Well, like her family is still. Her dad, I think, was in uh, like some sort of diplomat or yeah, right. no, maybe not. Military. I can't remember. Chelsea, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I can't remember what your dad does. <laughs> Sounds but, like a military dad. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't think it's military. Maybe it was like five year contract or some shit. But whatever it was, they moved around a bunch, and so her accent. You wouldn't be able to tell where she's from from her accent. Right. She's black, but that's like yeah. you know. So she's like black Kenyan, but then you could also be from anywhere. And uh, she doesn't have some like African sounding English accent. So it's just like, um, and all of her friends as well, uh, like that, they all call themselves third culture kids. They went yeah, to these right. international schools. Yeah, right. Um, and you're kind of that, but you feel like Australia's home. Absolutely. Yeah. And I sound like it. And yeah. I fit in here. Yeah, yeah, Although yeah. I don't really fit in anywhere, the way I look with a pig mohawk. Um, <laughs> you're so crazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do, I, I do feel at home here, but like I said, I feel this pull to Africa and I love yeah. it when I'm there. Any excuse to make a trip there, I do. But you you wouldn't go back to South Africa? Not to live, nah. Nah, but you nah. go back to visit? Uh, I suppose so. Um, I suppose so. My last trip was to Mozambique yeah. and Madagascar. Mm-hmm. My brother lived in Madagascar for 10 years, so I went to see him there. That was 
really unique place. Yeah, um, and you would say that you still like, you said before all Africans feel this. A vibration. You say you've got, you're African? Yeah. That's interesting. Isn't yeah, it? I feel it. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. It's really special. Africa smells smoky. Yeah? Because <laughs> everything's on fire. There's no, you know, there's fires burning, you know, because that's the way to deal with rubbish. And Africa's got this kind of bonfire flavour to it. Sure. But then there's a dirt level, a dirt layer in the smell. A, and I don't mean dirty, I mean just, you know, that soil. The smell of dirt. Smell. Rather than the wood that you might smell of a fire and walking around Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Or no, like, you know, there's when like you walk around Melbourne. There's like a bonfire smell, but then there's a soil, like a, the earth is yeah. a good word. The earth. Okay. But then there's a vibration because Africans sing so beautifully. And so there's this, the drumming and the the harmonising, and it's really different in the north. So when I was doing that work in Ethiopia, um, they don't harmonise so much and it's a more Arabic sound to the music and um, drumming. And the further south you go, the more harmonising and that more rounded, you know, Lion King kind of flavour to <laughs> to the sound of Africa. That's yeah. wild, man. It's beautiful. So what? So when did you uh, get first get this chance to go to Ethiopia? I volunteered my skills as an art director uh-huh. to this organisation. This How'd that happen? What, you I just go, I'm an art director, anyone want to? <laughs> it happened when I saw the founder of the organisation, a little old lady, on the mm-hmm. Oprah show. Mm-hmm. I said, on Oprah? Yeah. Ah. It all goes back to Oprah. Sure. Uh, I was sitting at home breastfeeding one of my babies. This little lady comes on the Oprah show. She's an Aussie. Great. She's talking about this work she's doing with um, women and babies and childbirth injuries in Ethiopia. At the yeah. time, I could not even tell you where that was on a map okay. back then. And I just thought, I just want to help this organisation, and I tracked them down. And Is this the one that you said there in your speech, you said the marketing is shit? Yeah, I said the visual communication was doing them damage. <laughs> I didn't say that Which is shit. a beautiful phrase. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I tracked them down and I, I started donating. I was working as a doula or a childbirth support partner uh-huh. because I'm easily uh, distracted and I like to do lots of different things and it was an exciting thing to learn and that whole childbirth world is an interesting one. And so I decided to donate my doula fees right. to the hospital. Okay. So I became a donor and they started sending me their, their comms. Their little which kits of things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, which was shit. All right. Yeah. Yes, they started sure. sending me their newsletters and it uh, was... So that yeah. almost... You're coming at that from a position of like you're already... Invent- like if you went to a... Re- this is how I read it when I listened to your, your speech. I thought that you found some random company and you just went, this pamphlet sucks, <laughs> but like apropos of nothing. And I was like, the gall of this woman. I'm pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Not that but bad. at least if you're if you're given the money and they're sending it to you already, <laughs> then you kind of have a little bit of an in or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I began donating. They started sending me the newsletters. The newsletters were terrible, so I said to them, let me help you. Yeah, great. And then I had only been helping them with their vis- visual community, you know, built their website, that sort of stuff. Not for long when I said, there aren't enough images to work with here. And as, as soon as I started complaining about that, I was on a plane to Ethiopia. Amazing. Fast. Yeah. And honestly, I wasn't even sure where in the world I was going, but yeah. I was willing. <laughs> just and was... my camera, I was a photographer for a long time alongside everything else I do, yeah. and my camera has been the ticket to some of my best adventures. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, come. Everybody, oh, you can do it. 
you yeah, and you get yeah, yeah, yeah. backstage and you access. Unfortunately, you have to go physically to these places. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but you know, I've, I've shot surgery that I would never have been invited to stand in theatre yeah. and watch a surgeon work on groundbreaking techniques. Oh my god. That nowhere else in the world really knows how to do it properly. So you have to go to Ethiopia, you have to go what? to a hospital in Addis Ababa if you want to learn this particular surgical technique. Really? Yeah. Why? Because that's where they work that's where the injuries were prevalent. What kind of injuries are we talking Childbirth about? Childbirth injuries. Okay. And that's where this particular doctor and her husband, who died yeah. in the early 90s, um, but she's still kicking on. That's where they dedicated 50 years of their life. Wow. And, and working this So what, why is it, is it specific kinds of... It? I'm just like, why is Ethiopia on the cutting edge of some childbirth yeah. technology? That's like, it because, doesn't make sense. Uh, because women and girls in countries like that, so certainly not the only one, the top countries where these injuries happen at the moment are Afghanistan and Nepal. Mm -hmm. These countries, women and girls don't have access to a good hospital when they go into labour. Yeah. So 5% of women worldwide, when they go into labour, their baby gets stuck. Okay. As I say in my book, doesn't matter how good looking your obstetrician is, 5% of women who go into labour, the baby will just be too big. Yeah. It's either the passage or the passenger that creates the <laughs> obstruction. And, uh, and in Ethiopia, these two doctors just like happened to take on a, a three-year uh, sort of assignment yeah. to teach obstetrics and train midwives. Yeah. But they, when they were there, they went, hang on a second, there are all these women with these terrible injuries and they make you incontinent. Yeah, right. So in a, when you live in a village and you don't have running water oh. or any sanitation, yeah. you just cannot live with other people because you're so filthy and these women get ostracised oh. and their life expectancy is much shorter. They've all lost their babies. It's just, it's almost like a fate worse than that. That's death. crazy. So they shifted their focus away from training midwives to dealing with the backlog of cases of these women who had these terrible injuries. Right. And in the process, working out how to do this surgery. And so there just weren't other people like them working in these other places in the world. That's just what happened to land in Ethiopia. That's yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so my camera gave me those invitations yeah. to stand in places like that. To go and, and literally see. scrub in. Yeah. For a surgery. Yeah. And go with a, a lens and take a picture yeah, of Yeah, and watch this woman who's now 95. She stopped operating when she was 90. Wow. Um, doesn't wear glasses. Yeah, still yeah. her own teeth. Wow. Um, steady as a rock. Watching and totally her. continent. Not incontinent at all. Who? The, the doctor. Boom tish. <laughs> <laughs> and watching, watching this work is amazing. Yeah. yeah amazing. That's very cool. Yeah. So you did that for 10 years? So I volunteered that for eight years. Yeah. And, um, and you and got to spend heaps of time in Ethiopia. So I would go at least every year and do a big photo shoot and really got to know the work, got mm -hmm. to understand all the issues. There was a midwifery school as well, so to understand how the deployment of midwives worked into the countryside. And then I had to go out into the countryside all by myself yeah. to these regional hospitals. And you talk about all this in the book. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just like, so I still don't know what the book's about. Get the girls out, right? Well, it's a memoir. So, so it's a memoir of your life. Okay, wait. So yeah, yeah, yeah you said that. So yeah. you're talking about going to... It's a memoir of my Ethiopia, life. Starting but, born but, in Africa, but all this but other stuff. With like, um, are you saying that your life has kind of had a focus of like promoting women? I think I enjoy working for the underdog. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, that happens to be women yeah, almost sure. anywhere in the world. Okay. So it's fallen that way. So that's kind of the theme of it. I guess so. 
Yeah. Like that's an interesting thing to like that almost suggests it's one of the things that almost suggests that your life calling it like naming your memoir something to do with feminism almost suggests that your whole life is like about the furtherment of women i guess so um not my whole life i think it's definitely one of the themes yeah but the get the girls out title really refers to having the courage to be yourself and not caring what anybody else thinks of what the real you is and so for me that happened there was this one bad year in my life where I testified in the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sex abuse. Wow. That was a bigger deal than I was expecting. This is the George Pell thing? Uh, George Pell was... Well, was he part of the... Yes. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's the only context I've heard the word not, Royal Commission. Sure. Yeah. Not yeah. the charges against him that he's wound up in jail, uh-huh. but the Royal Commission, which reviewed the whole situation yeah, of totally. schools and churches responding to sex abuse. Sure. And I was part of the Knox Grammar hearing. Okay. And that was a bigger deal than I expected. So um, my book talks about the repercussions of testifying that I could never have seen coming. Uh, then a month after that, I lost my job, my beloved job as the CEO of the charity oh, in Ethiopia. And then a month after that, my husband asked for a divorce. Whew. So uh, that 2015 was the year of the shit sandwich. Yeah, big start. And I guess my memoir starts in 2015 then goes and goes back to back. my childhood. And um, that year paired everything back. I kind of lost everything I thought that was important to me. Mm-hmm. And then I had to make some it gave me a chance to make new decisions for my life and so get the girls out is about being who i'd like to be rather than who my family or society requires that i be you are a very good speaker thanks (laughs) (laughs) i'm a good speaker when nobody interrupts yeah my kids drive me nuts and how I often start speeches is, as a mother of three, to be given one hour to speak uninterrupted is a gift. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, thank yeah. You. And usually mums are the ones who laugh. You got them. like you have like a clarity of thought. It feels like every time I'm asking you these questions, you're just like bang. Oh. Do you get asked these questions a lot? You're asking me nice new questions that oh, I've really? never answered before. Well, that's nice. That's yeah. kind of what I'm trying to do. Have you been uh, like? You've been promoting the book, doing speaking tours and shit like that, huh? I have, but that was there was a lot of promotion on the book back in April and May this year. Okay. And now it's sort of tapered off. Uh, How's the book gone? It's going great. Yeah? Yeah. It seems like it's going great. It helps that I speak a lot. And so I make sure that when I'm booked for a speech that the conference organiser also buys a copy of my book for every delegate. And then we can do an Oprah. Oh, my God. You get a book. You get a book. Everyone gets a book. You make the conference organiser buy a copy of your book outside of your feed. Yeah. Oh my God, man! Yeah, what a the... fucking absolute <laughs> hustle! But it makes the audience go wild. It's yeah. Great. <laughs> so that... Jesus Christ, you're running a pyramid scheme here. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. You should make the books like printed in fucking gold leaf or something. <laughs> so that makes my uh, that makes my book sales pumps up my book sales. Yeah, bet. It's easier to sell 800 books than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you want to write another one? Uh, I would love to write another one now that I'm over the pain and suffering of the last one. So uh-huh. that my memoir took me four years to write. Yeah, wow. Well. 
And apparently it only takes six and a half hours to read, <laughs> which is a bit heartbreaking. I had a friend, a friend who it, said she'd read it in five hours. And I that's was like, great, though. I was like, fuck off, That's awesome, man. It's me four years of pain and suffering. That's annoying as well because when you start writing it, by the time you finish writing it, you've got another four years to write. <laughs> yeah. Frustrating. Well, actually living the life I was writing about. Yeah. And I needed a little bit of distance from some of that to look back on it with humour rather than bitterness. Mm -hmm. So the four years it took me, when I look back on what I wrote in that first year, I was still processing that shitty year. And wasn't and it was good to write because it gave me something to do, gave sure. me an output. But that needed I that needed a good going over so I didn't sound like a bitter cow. <laughs> uh, there's also some things in the book that were really hard, really hard to go over. Yeah. That I have uh, consciously blotted out in my brain. I just have not given it any oxygen. Until and you I tried have, to write about it. Yeah. Yeah. And the publisher made me. So I dumped this story in the smack bang in the middle of my book, and and I kind of ambushed the reader with this particular story and. The publisher said to me, hang on a second, you mm -hmm. can't dump that shit in there and not explore it thoroughly. Right. So we either explore totally, it thoroughly or totally. we pull that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, I've put it out to the, to the world, you know, my publisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's You've already told someone that's the hardest part is telling the first person, yeah, right? Yeah, and the first person I told didn't believe me. Really? And then I then I told someone who did believe me, then I put it in my, in my manuscript. Okay. So then I had to go over this incident that happened in San Francisco and I had to actually keep thinking it through until I remembered the details I tried so hard to forget. Totally, so that, man. that was hard. Really, yeah. really, really hard. Uh, you know, can I... Uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. You get on such a roll, man. I don't want to... I want to be a good listener, but I also... I'm, I'm trying to answer your question. Is, I, would I write another book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. Now that I've got over that pain and suffering, and now it's such a thrill to see my gorgeous book okay. out in the universe that it's a bit like maternal amnesia where you forget how painful it was to give birth. You go, yeah. sure, I'll have another yeah. child. Like yeah, I was going to say, because if you went through those things again, do you feel like it would be easier to go through hard things? But then I guess you haven't probably hopefully had another experience like whatever san francisco was to be able to delve back into yeah 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 you're right i, I was gonna say um people often ask me because it's interesting you said you had to remember all the details right i all had the, to you had to try and dig brain. for the details yeah. and people often ask me about stand-up of those things that you say true and i always say it, it'd be crazy for them to not be true because the emotion of the thing which is what people connect to in any kind of art or story the emotion is in the the details you know so it's not about yeah, that's so true it's not about like uh this story is i got punched in the face by a lady on the train the emotion is in like remembering that she grabbed my hair or remembering that she was three seats away or whatever the little yeah. thing is the fact that you remember that there's a reason that you remember those little things and it's because those are the things that made you feel whatever the thing was that you were feeling in the moment and i feel like whenever you <clears throat> like if you if, I don't know if it ever occurred to you to try and lie and make things up. It doesn't sound like it would have, no. But um, when when people ask me like, "Oh, you you know what? Do you make any of it up or whatever?" I'm like, I'd almost be cheating myself out of the emotion of something if I just lied and you know, even yeah. if it works better as a joke or whatever. It's like you're crazy. Why would you do that? That's yeah. like it ruins the whole point of it. I don't have a good enough memory to remember bullshit. Yeah. So I stick to the truth because it's exactly. simpler and yeah. I can't trick myself up. 
so I've, I haven't gone down that avenue, but I think there are times in comedy when you explore a theme to the point where you are dancing in fiction, only to reinforce how funny something Yeah, sure. But and it's always kind of presented as like, imagine if or what if, or that's yeah, like that's this. Right. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Rather right. than this is what happened. Agreed. I feel like as soon as you start, if you make up three things, they're all invented, and so that's going to be emotionally inconsistent. Whereas if you tell the truth and all those three details are yeah. true, that'll be founded in the fact that you were the same person yeah, who lived through exactly them. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the truth is my, I believe, my highest value. That's the most important thing that guides me in my life is the truth. Yeah. I, I can't wade through bullshit. I can't remember my own bullshit. It just has to be the truth, and then that's the best place to start. I yeah. Think. Sure. Yeah. That's the most pretentious thing I've ever heard in my life, and I absolutely am on board with it. Go for it. No, I'm on I am. I think that to myself all the time, and then I don't tell people because I'm like, my friends will make fun of me. <laughs> if I just go just say, me. I just care about the truth. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I know. Good shit. I know. But the truth, telling the truth has led me down some difficult paths as yeah. well. So like the Royal Commission, you know, if I wasn't willing to tell the truth, about the headmaster of Knox Grammar School feeling me up when I was 15. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have uh, unleashed what happened to me after that. And as well, I wouldn't have helped the survivors the way that did. Sure. Which I didn't expect. I didn't realise how, what a big deal that was. Yeah, what was the unexpected, the that was the unexpected part? You said uh, there, there, No, there was more than that. There was, um, I never expected, so I testified about something that happened to me, which is a du- about a dude who was protecting a pedophile ring in a private boys' school. Sure. So I'm, I know there's black, there's white, and there's a stack of grey in between, but you know, pedophilia kind of sits way over there in the black yeah, department. Yeah. There aren't grey, you know, there aren't grey levels of pedophilia. Yeah. So it never occurred to me that there would be people who would punish me for testifying against that guy. Never, ever occurred to me that I was sitting on the wrong side of anyone. Wow. Because... Our children are just, you know, this is like this sacred line that these people cross. And I didn't realise that so many people who society see as good people are quietly protecting a pedophile ring or the protector of a pedophile ring. That blew my mind. Yeah. So, and that will follow me, I reckon, everywhere, everywhere I go. Do you think that's why you lost your job, for example, or things like that? Um, I have to be careful that yeah, I don't sure. say that from a legal perspective. Sure. Um, but it's it's the timing seems suspicious. Wow. Um, but it's more direct than that. So I took um, a role with a charity in Cambodia, been in the role three weeks, bam, my board got a letter from the family of that, that guy I testified against saying we will never donate to your organisation as long as Lucy is your executive director. No disclosure of who they were or the relation to. And I had to do some digging to work out exactly who that was. Oh. Because my board is like, holy hell, we're getting hate mail. <laughs> who are you? Yeah. And and that kind of thing follows me. So now I, you know, I who remember... Who are these people who are so proactive about their petty hatred of you for doing the right thing? Even? It's, it's, it's more fueled by loyalty to the headmaster of Knox Grammar School and the brand of Knox yeah. than it is hatred for me. Yeah. Um, that's, that's like, yeah. I'm trying to unpack that. Like, 
you do this th- and what they can't accept that that person did that is that i think where no i think from? they would like to punish me for speaking up even though even so they accept that that person did that well i was the only person who had specific uh evidence or testimony yeah uh, against the headmaster for doing anything inappropriate with children. Yeah. All the other, they weren't charges, but all the other allegations against that headmaster were about him destroying records, promoting teachers when they were complained about. And these teachers were having sex with 13-year-olds. Fuck. And if there was a complaint, he would promote them. Oh, my God. Half of the victims at that school are dead. This is pretty fucking serious. Yeah. Where were we? Um, <laughs> um, so these people are writing letters saying, "Oh yeah, so, don't have Lucy as your as the head of this charity." Yeah. Do so, they accept that he did that? Do they believe that he did that, or do they think you're lying? There are people who accused me of lying, and this is why okay, we, so we go it, down this path of truth is my most important yeah, value. Yeah, yeah. Why on earth would I take a day yeah, out totally. of my life to stand before the royal commission? That courtroom filled up so fast because of the way I look. Yeah. And uh, the media, they all have their own rooms in that courthouse. <laughs> the media filled that room. And I didn't know it was actually being live streamed. And hundreds of thousands of people, all connected to Knox, were all watching it too. Some of whom were cheering me on. Yeah. And one of them appeared in the same witness box as me the very next day to say, everything Lucy said is true. I saw it happen. In fact, it was worse than she describes. So, truth is my most important value. That will still chase me because I can't believe that people will yeah. be more loyal to someone who did that than yeah. someone who speaks the yeah, truth. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what I was trying to ascertain there is, to the, like, I mean, at least those people, oh, for a second I thought maybe they believed what you were saying but still hated you for saying it, saying which would be the way. craziest thing, whereas surely at least... They don't believe what you were saying, in which case, in their minds, they're defending the false accusation of someone. I guess so. That's, that's a little bit better than... But, I mean, it's still crazy. There were other allegations against that guy that yeah. were so incredibly serious yeah. um, about covering up and covering up records and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's terrible. Crazy. So now, when I say go for a, a, a juicy contract or something, I always say <coughs> to whoever's recruiting me, I have to warn you. Not long after it's public that I'm doing some work with you, you may get a tap on the shoulder from someone who will make me sound like oh my god, like the devil on legs. And the last time I said that to this chick who I went to, I went to China and did a whole lot of consulting with her firm. She said, "I look forward to telling them to go fuck themselves." <laughs> so she's the right kind of person for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I guess that helps you weed out weak people. With. Yeah, and I guess look, if there's a brand out there who would rather allow a pedophile protector yeah, yeah, yeah. to push around the brand. I don't think I want to work with them anyway. So they're actually quite a nice little yeah, <laughs> audition too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember you saying um, when uh, I, when I first started writing for you and you said you were doing a thing for nurses or something like that. Sometimes I speak. Um, oh, was this consulting or speaking? No, speaking, speaking. And you said... Uh, nurses and midwives, best yeah. audience ever. And I remember, <laughs> I remember you saying that you... Uh, the speech you had to give was supposed to um, like motivate these st- the nurses um, and your employer was you were kind of like your employer was saying you've got to do one thing and you were kind of saying to me oh, I'm more on the side of the other people actually <laughs> that, and I remember thinking like oh that sucks that you have to be disingenuous to do this thing 
Yeah. And now, but now after everything you've just said there, it seems like you don't have to be disingenuous to do the speaking thing at all. In fact, it sounds like even though you're in a corporate world and it's kind of stifling, you still get to tell the truth and be yourself. I believe so, yes. So I use humour to get away with a lot. Yeah. So I've stood before audiences before and, and I'm often asked to speak on innovation and maverick thinking mm-hmm. and uh, creative thinking, cool ideas, all that stuff, fostering a, a diverse workplace that encourages innovation and all these buzzwords. And I have stood before an audience and said, if you are in a leadership position within this organisation and someone reporting to you comes to you with the most genius idea on earth and you push them down or you repurpose that idea as your own, give yourself an uppercut. <laughs> and so I have the permission to speak to them like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Everyone totally. laughs in a in a approving way, yeah. but they have still heard me. I still get to. That's speak. comedy. That's what well, comedy that's right. is, man. You're protected. You're the fool. Yeah. You got you got pink hair, so yeah. they laugh at you, yeah. and then you're allowed to fucking say that the emperor's got no clothes on. And then I get the hell out of there. And then you get your money, and you make them buy a copy of your book each. <laughs> Yeah. That's sick, man. Yeah. Um, all right. So, what do you, what do you, what do you want? What's your plan for the future now? Oh, big question. I have really enjoyed building up my speaking career mm-hmm. because, for a bunch of reasons, I get to go to cool places. So, Barcelona next, Denver after that. Never yeah. been to Colorado. Yeah. All over Australia, but it also means that I can be around for my kids when they need me. That's so, what, and that's what you want. Yeah. So, yeah. school holidays, I can just go right. I'm here. And I'm here for chunks of time. Whereas when I ran an ad agency or when I was the CEO of a charity, you got four weeks annual leave. And kids have 10 weeks school holidays. Mm-hmm. Do the math, it's yeah, really yeah. hard. And so yeah. then my kids are in after school care and in holiday care, and that's no fun. And I miss my kids because they live with their dad Monday to Friday. And they're with me on weekends. And so the more I can get of them, the better. And so speaker life is fun for lots of reasons. And, but that's the outcome I look yeah, for, that's is, the main one. Is, is being able to fly back to Sydney. I'm actually flying from Barcelona back to Sydney so I can have my birthday with my kids. Amazing. Just so I can fly to Denver. So I'm doing crazy air yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because kids get really tired to things like birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, for the future, though, uh, I, I just want to keep building my speaking career. I yeah. do. My goal is to be the best speaker in Australia. That's very cool. So it's a big, bold goal. You're coming for them. Yeah. I, I know I'm the only speaker in Australia with a pink mohawk. Sure. I'm sure there's others in the world, but I can say I'm the best speaker yeah, with a pink mohawk. Totally. <laughs> and if someone comes along who's better, you can dye it green. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could go green. I could do purple, but not green. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I think there is definitely more books in me. Uh-huh. So I, I might write another memoir in 20 years' time. Because for 20 years I'll have lived, you know, my real me. Yeah. Rather than the married me and the conservative me that came out of a religious family me. Uh-huh. You know, the more um, the more authentic me, I guess. You feel like you've hit a more authentic you recently? Totally. Uh, as soon as uh, I had to deal with that really difficult year. Where right. no job, baddies after me, marriage ended. <clears throat> uh, I was given the the precious gift, which I hated at the time, of just rebooting my life and saying what I wanted. And you were how old? 40. Damn. Yeah. And now you feel like you've got it. Yeah. Because I lived the decisions I made. I got married when I was 21. Yeah, you're a psycho. What was I thinking? 
religious families. At least you've got not like kids, and you know you're only in your forties, and your kids are almost growing up. Well, my youngest is eleven, but yeah, that's all right though. That's better. <laughs> she than can pack her own, her own lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I made decisions when I was twenty-one. Yeah. That once I was forty, I wasn't that keen on those decisions. Sure. Living in the burbs, pretty quiet life. Uh huh. Um, not travelling for my 20s. Yeah. There were lots of decisions I made that once everything was whipped out from under me, I got to remake. So now yeah. I live by the beach, right by the beach, really close to the beach. I can't live further away from the sea than I am now. And I live in a really simple apartment. I used to have a big house. Yeah. It used to take an hour and a half to sweep and mop the floors, the timber oh. floors in that house. Nightmare. Just too big. Yeah, why do you need that much thinking? space? It had four bathrooms. I guess yeah. <laughs> that's like, so many. I was about of... to. I was about to be like, oh, well, you got three kids. Nah, four bathrooms, man. That's crazy. <laughs> and now I just live a much simpler life, yeah. a really compact life. I have a really. You laugh at how small my wardrobe is. I just life is simpler. I live by the beach, and um, and it's much more fun. Uh huh. And who's to say that in 20 years you won't realise that you fucked it up and, you know, make new decisions? Yeah, and a re- there's nothing you know, wrong with a reboot. Yeah. yeah. Alright, man. I think that's it. Thanks, Thanks for, for chatting. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so nice, huh? Yeah. Anything you want to plug, actually? Um, please buy my book, Get yeah. the Girls Out. You yeah. can get that in any bookstore in the nation yeah. or New Zealand. Um, that's the most important thing. Buy my book. Dope. Thanks. Ever, 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 ever be your side chick. I put the Like, I, I, I.